0: Hey, this morning we are continuing this series called I Have a Hope. Will you turn to the person next to you and tell them, I have a hope? Okay, let's try that again. Can you say that with like a little bit of like, hey, I got a hope. I have some hope today. This morning uh, we are looking at this uh, because I, I believe this. I believe that the holidays can be one of the most hopeless times of life. If you go through any kind of tragedy, any kind of loss it gives us, If he's the source, he's the author, he's the creator of hope. And so in this season, we're wanting to talk about it. And uh, we opened up this series a few weeks back. And uh, two weeks ago, I talked about the first part of this idea that we all go through peaks and valleys. And it was supposed to be a two-part message. And then last weekend, we had kind of a, a family crisis. And so I didn't get to finish that. And a lot has happened since, uh, since I was here last with you. We had Thanksgiving we had Black Friday, we had Cyber Monday, the Cowboys lost, the Cowboys lost again, and I think they lost a third time, like they've like, like lost three times since we had, I was with you last. So some of you are like, you don't care, some of you are grieving, you're mourning, so this message is for you today. Uh, but one of the things that we talked about is that in every season of life, we go through these peaks and we go through these valleys, and we love the peaks, don't we? We love the mountaintop experiences. I, I mean, we love the graduations, we love the weddings. We enjoy uh, getting married. We enjoy seeing uh, promotion. We enjoy all those different kinds of things in life. And we go through these moments and these times, and they're powerful, and they're dynamic, and they're good. But if you're like me, I, I feel like those times are not the normal. There is, most of life seems to be lived in what are the valleys? They're the everydays. They go through the hardships and the challenges and the difficulties of just life. And today, we want to talk about what do we do in a valley, and two weeks ago, we looked at uh, a couple different area, things of what we do when we're in a valley, and today, I want to look at the other two, but here's the reality. For every single one of us in a valley, there's always this temptation. There's always a temptation to go back and try to recreate the mountaintop experience, right? Like, we, would, we just want to go back to that, and so we try to run back, or we try to recreate it. Others of us, when we find ourselves in a valley, we do whatever we can to get out of that valley, Right? We run. Sometimes we run from God. We bail on God. We try to create an emergency exit to get out of the valley. And even it says, God, I'm sorry, like I'm running from you because I need to get out of this valley. It's that bad. Then the third option, we lean into him in the middle of the valley. We embrace him. You and God, this is painful. This is difficult. But God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in the midst of everything I'm going through. Habakkuk was a man in the Bible I don't recommend you naming your children after him because it's really hard to spell. But Habakkuk was a man in the Bible, and he went through a valley. And if you read Habakkuk chapter 1, you just see story after story, moment after moment, where he's venting to God. He's saying, God, get me out of this valley. God, it's unfair. It's wrong. It's unjust. And then chapter 2 starts, and this is what he says, verse 3. It says, It says, Or excuse me, verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. And then the verse before that, verse 1, he says this. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. What we talked about two weeks ago is that we need to be people that just listen for God that we take time to stop and to pause and just to listen. When was the last time that you did nothing but you just waited upon the Lord? You just listened. You just turned off your phone, you turned off the television or your iPad or any other devices and you just sat and you waited on God and you just listened for him. Habakkuk says, God, I'm going through all these issues. I've vented and I've lamented and I've got it all out and now I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna pause In fact, I'm even going to get alone, and I'm just going to learn to listen for your voice. And he begins to listen to God. Now, I would argue that for many of us, myself included, oftentimes when I don't hear God, is because I'm not listening for God. Maybe I'll listen for like a moment, like reading my Bible in the morning, whatever, and I get distracted, and I've stopped listening. I think that if we would be people that would say, God, I'm going to intentionally set aside time daily to listen to you, God would speak and we would see so much of who he is. But so often we're just going from thing to thing. It's, we're, we're busy with jobs and kids and soccer and friends and cooking and soccer and neighborhood events and soccer. And I'm just kidding. We just, yeah, you know. But if we stopped and we listened to God, what he would say to us, I think it would be priceless. It would be timeless. Timeless. And then Habakkuk says this, his next instruction is found in verse 2. It says, and the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. It's been said that the shortest pencil is always more accurate than the longest memory. That if we write things down, we'll remember it so much more clearly. I was challenged by a friend recently. uh, Five years ago, he got this five-year journal. Have you seen those? They're available on Amazon, and each page has like, you know, two lines, and you can just write a couple things. And so every day, five years ago, he started writing down things, and then the next year, I was just checking you. I just want to make sure you knew. The 8th, and then next year, December 8th, 2020, and, and after five years, he said it was overwhelming. The promises that God had answered, the prayers that he would answered, the promises he had fulfilled, all the ways that God moved. He said it just filled my faith so much. I'd encourage you to write down some of the things that God is speaking to you. He provided an answer, and I just moved. We see God move in this. God, you provided an answer to this prayer. Again and again and again, we see God move in this. So he says, write it down. And then the third thing I want us to see, the first truth today, is that we are people, and we see this in verse 3, it says this. It says, the vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. The third truth that I want to see is that we are, need to be people that learn to wait. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Some of you are like, man, I, you don't know the battle, Ezra, that we went through in terms of getting kids out the door, like socks don't match, cereal in the minivan on the way here, but we're here, and now you're telling me to wait? I am. Others of you are saying, man, I, I dress up so well for that cute girl that always sits in the third row, hoping she, today would be the day that she notices me, and you're telling me I'm to wait? I am. Habakkuk tells us to wait upon God. This is one of the hardest truths. This is one of the hardest things to do. This phrase that talks about the appointed time, it's this word called moed. Would you, you turn to the person next to you and say, moed? Moed is this phrase that means the appointed time of God. It, it, it's what, when a woman is pregnant in that nine-month period, that's moed. It's waiting on God for the right time, for the right moment. There's a saying we used to say in the church, and it would go like this. It says, we'd say, God is rarely early. He's never late, but he's always on time, Right? We don't say that, but I think we need to bring that one back. We need to go vintage with that. It seems like a throwback. Verse 3, if it seems slow in coming. When I read that, I'm like, no, it is always slow. It doesn't seem slow. It is always slow. Recently, I took that Enneagram test, and I discovered I'm a three, and I've been reading some books, and this is some podcasts about it, and it's been so helpful. I am wired for my wife. And someone recently heard about that, and they sent me this infographic. And this infograph talked about, like, the things that annoy threes the most. It's people that walk slow, it's people that talk slow, and it's people that are just slow in their decisions. I'm like, man, that is so me. Like, I don't do well in slowness. I want everything to happen fast. But what do we know? We know God's promises are yes and amen. Every one of his promises we can take to the bank. We might have to wait for a while, but we can take them to the bank because we know what God says is true. A few weeks ago, I went to pick up a friend from the airport here in Austin. And um, I got there, and his flight was delayed. And so I pulled into the cell phone waiting lot. Have you been there recently? Okay, it used to be really sketched. Do you remember it back in the day? Like, it was this parking lot behind a warehouse, and there was, like, one light in the middle of it, and you never knew if the light bulb was going to work or not. And I'm pretty sure, like, most of the drug trafficking in Austin happened in that parking lot. I'm pretty sure every time I was there, I'm like, am I going to get carjacked? Like, what's going like, it was so sketch. And now it's really nice. Like, everything at the airport, like, we have great restaurants, and, you know, you want to, like, hang out at the airport now. But you pull into this waiting lot, and it's well lit, and I'm waiting for my friend. And he's late, and I'm checking the status of his flight on this app, and it's saying that he's going to be late, and it keeps just getting pushed back further and further and further. And so I text him. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting. And then what did I do? I just sat back, and I, I watched the Cowboys lose. And I'm just, I, I, I just started relaxing, right? I just, I'm sitting there. There's nothing I can do. I know he's going to land eventually, so I don't start texting him. I don't start calling him. I don't start emailing him or tweeting at him. I just, I just wait. I thought, there's nothing I can do in this moment. I was right next to a gas station. I thought if I run out of gas, I'm okay. They had some tacos in the gas station. I'm like, hey, don't don't put it past me. I will eat gas station tacos if I get hungry enough. I can wait on this. As I was sitting there, I thought, how often do I wait on God? I mean, it's been 24 hours. Why haven't you answered that prayer? Or, it's been seven days, why isn't this happened yet? Or, it's been a month, or it's been a year, why hasn't this been answered yet? I think sometimes we have a little bit more trust in Southwest Airlines than we do in the Son of God. I think sometimes we have a little bit more faith in Alaska Airlines than we do in the Almighty God. That sometimes we're just like, okay, we know it's going to get here, so we're just going to wait. But with God, we, we don't give Him any grace. The one that gives us grace, we don't give grace to in return. And we have to remember this, that with God, a delay is not a denial. We we, we feel like a delay, like, God, you're denying me. You're rejecting me. No, a delay is not a denial when it comes to God. We have to trust him in this. We have to to be still and, and know that he's God. Not be busy, but to be still and know that he's God. Psalms 46, verse 10. Now, I know this is hard. I mean, we live in a day and age where, you know, we order something on Amazon and it's here within a few hours. Like, I don't even have to wait in line at torches anymore. I just use Uber Eats to deliver it to my house. We don't wait for anything. Yet God says, we we need to wait. We need to wait on him. And here's why I think this is so significant. We look at, at the Bible and we see person after person after person that waited on God. I mean, what we read in a few pages or what we read in a few chapters takes decades of life to actually unfold. There's this man named Joseph, Joseph waits 13 years to lead his brothers. We read it in a couple chapters and we think, oh, it just happened overnight. No, it's 13 years. Moses, God speaks to Moses and says, you're going to lead my people out of slavery. Do you know how long from the moment he heard that word to the moment it was fulfilled? 40 years. Four decades. Some of you aren't even 40 years old yet. Moses waited 40 years on God. David was anointed as king. He was anointed as king. And and guess how long he waited to become king? Uh, 18 years. And guess what? The whole time, he's running for his life. And yet he didn't ever leave the valley. He didn't try to run back to the peak. He said, God, I'm going to continue to follow you. The whole time, God's making him into the man of God, into the king that he needed to be. So how do we wait? How do we not just wait? How do we wait well? Do any of you wait well? No. It's 2019. None of us do. How do we wait well? Because I think that we can kind of approach waiting like we approach traffic on slow pack, right? I don't even call it Mopac. I call it slow pack. I think some of us, we can approach waiting like, you know when you go to H-E-B and you have your groceries for the week and there's two lanes open for like normal shoppers and then for everyone else, like they have the 15 items or less, right? And there's like 23 of those lanes open. I'm like, who, who shops for 15 items or less at a time? I'm like, kids, get a cart. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm kidding. There's another approach though to wait. It's what we see when we go to a restaurant. You have a waiter. You have a waiter who waits on you. And what are they doing the entire time? They're serving you. I believe the way that we wait well is that we serve God, that we choose to serve God. We say, God, as I'm waiting on you, I'm going to choose to serve you. I'm waiting uh, the, these next couple of weeks for this the, the, the interview with my boss. While I wait, man. That single mom, I'm going to do everything I can to, to give her a Christmas for the books. I'm going to spoil her and her kids. I, I'm waiting for a wife. And as I'm waiting for a wife, man, you know what I'm going to do? That, that coworker of mine that just moved here with his family and they don't know anyone, I'm going to invite him to the, 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 one of the, the Austin Lights. I'm going to go to, I'm going to say, hey, this is a tradition we do every year. Do you guys want to come with us? I'm going to invite him over for Christmas. I'm going to serve well. As I'm waiting to hear back on this answer from God, God, I'm going to join a serve team. I'm going to serve these kids, or I'm going to serve with the worship team. I'm going to serve you as I wait for you. Because you know what I believe? I believe that God allows us to wait. It's the developmental process. It's, it's not easy. It's not our favorite. It's not something we're like, oh, yay, God, I get to wait on you. But that's when he makes us. It's when he develops us. It's when he nurtures us and makes us into the men and women that he wants us to be. We spend a lot of time in life waiting. My prayers would be people that would wait well. Then it tells us this. I want us to look at verse three one more time. It says, "This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. It seems slow in coming. Wait patiently, and then this is what I want us to see: for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed." The final thing that I want us to see is that as we walk through a valley, we need faith. We need faith. And for some of you, like, yeah, of course, yeah, Ezra, that's what preachers talk about. It's all about faith, right? We got to have faith. We get that. We know that. But it's so true, and it's so vital. And I think that oftentimes the reason that we take an emergency exit out of a valley, which, by the way, always just leads us to another valley, but the reason that we do is we just run out of faith. We just, we don't get our faith filled back up and so we run out of faith and we just take things into our own hands and we end up running away. Hear this, okay? Hear this. It's our faith in God that helps us process the why question. It's our faith in God that always helps us process the why question. Because oftentimes we'll ask God why and there won't be an answer. We'll say, God, why why did I lose this family member? God, why did this happen? Why did I get laid off? Why, I've been healthy my whole life. Why am I suddenly battling this disease? Faith is always the answer to the why question. It always helps us get through that and figure that out. Without faith, it will never make sense. Please hear me on this. Without faith, it will never make sense. And without faith, God will never be enough. If you don't have faith, God will never be enough for you. I don't know how else to say it, but it's It's the reality. But if you have faith, battling, God will always be more than an. Oswald Chambers said it like this, and I wanna encourage you, take out your phone. Some of you need to take a photo of this quote. He says, Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Let me read that again, because I, I read that, I thought that is so true. Faith is the deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at this time. Some of you need to hear that and be reminded of that today. That's why we need faith. That's why we need faith in God because things don't always make sense. I've lived long enough to tell you that most often they don't make sense. That's why we need this faith in him. One of my favorite books in the entire Bible is the book of Hebrews. Uh, One of my favorite chapters is the 11th chapter It opens up with this definition. I think it's the best definition I've ever read in Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then it goes on to list all these people that were great men and women of faith. They were like the hall of fame of faith. And yet they struggled. And yet they missed it. And yet they failed and they sinned and they wrestled and they worked things out. And sometimes they didn't work things out. But again and again and again and again, we see these examples of faith. And they weren't perfect people. In fact, they were so far from it. They were just like you and I. But they had great faith. And I believe even though their circumstances were different, their situations were different, it was their faith that helped them to get through. It was their faith that helped them to get to the other side. But then listen to this. The chapter ends with this statement, verse 39. It says, all these people received all that God had promised. They didn't receive all that God had promised? I want you to hear something. I believe that sometimes we won't get an answer in our timeline or even in our lifetime but God will fulfill them in our lifeline. Every night when my kids go to sleep, I sneak back in their rooms and I pray over them. I pray over their spouses. I pray over their future. I pray, God, would they have have just audacious, crazy faith? But then I pray this prayer. I pray, God, some of the dreams that you've given me, would they get fulfilled in my lifeline? Would they get fulfilled not in my timeline, but in this lifeline? Don't you want to dream dreams and, and, and to contend for promises and prayers that are greater than you? Come on, 1115, where are you at today? Don't you want to dream dreams that are greater than you and your generation? Don't you want to believe for things bigger than what God could accomplish in just your lifetime? I do. I want things to be better for the next generation, the next generation. I want to see a greater move of God in the generations to come than what we could ever hope for or believe for or contend for. I want, like, my ceiling to be their floor, right? I want the ceiling of my faith to be like, yeah, we're just getting started there. I want them to have great faith. Remember, God's best for your life is better than your best for your life. Hope for, or ever want, or ever long for. It's just better. Hebrews concludes with this phrase. It says, for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. God's best for your life is better than your best for your life. It just flat out is. So as you pray, as you wait, as you contend, don't pray, God, I want my best. Pray, God, I want your best. I want your best, not just for me, but for everyone I know. I want your best for them, God. I want your best in every situation. To those of you that are in a valley, to those of you that are in a storm, if God's allowing you to go through this so that you can encounter his best, what if God is allowing you to go through what you're going through, to face what you're facing, To fight what you're fighting because he has something better for you on the other side that you couldn't even begin to have imagined. What if? When I, before I met my wife, I I helped start a church in Portland, Oregon. But the problem was I lived in Los Angeles. And so every weekend I would fly back and forth between Portland and Los Angeles. I logged almost 100 trips every weekend. And I always prayed this prayer as I'd sit down. God, would you just bring my wife to sit down next to me? Like, God, I'm obedient. I'm honoring you. I'm giving up every weekend of, of two years just to go do this. Like could, could, like, could just me and my obedience, would my wife just sit next to me? She never did. I never met my wife on any of those 100-plus flights. And then I would go, and i get to travel. i get to speak. i get to preach. And I'd say, Lord, like, today could just the cutest little thing just walk up, and, and would you just say, like, that's your wife? You've been faithful. You've been obedient. You've been serving me. And like at the mountaintop, can I meet my wife at the mountaintop? I never did. I met my wife in a valley. I met my wife in a valley where I wanted to quit on my job. I wanted to quit on my city. I wanted to quit on on the calling of God on my life. I, I just was like, I'm done. I gave up. and Then I met my wife on a blind date. It's often promises and the right things when we need it the most. And we just want to get back to the mountain. But God's like, I have so much more for you right here. Take it. Receive it. Walk in it. It's my gift to you. i across these words. And and I love when God does this because I'm reading it in my Bible and that afternoon I was reading in another book and I I read the same verse and it's found in Matthew chapter 17. You've probably heard of it if you've been a part of church for a little while. Jesus said these words, and listen to these words, this is a bold statement. He said, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. I love that because it's bold and it's audacious. And you know what? A mustard seed at that, in that era was one of the smallest seeds known to man. God doesn't say uh, the size of, uh, of a watermelon seed. He doesn't say the size of an avocado seed. He's, I'm just saying it's like this little thing. And we believe that verse so much. We believe that that wasn't just true for the original audience. We believe it was true for today. It's one of our core values as a church. We, we say we speak to mountains. The mountains in our life are going to move because of, of who our God is. Now, here's what I was thinking about this week, and I hope you hear this. It's often in the valleys, it's often in the lowest of lows that we encounter the largest mountains, not the mountaintops, but the mountains that God wants to move. It's often in the valleys, not on the mountaintops, it's in the valleys that we come across these mountains and we're just saying, man, there's no way you can move this. God, my cancer, my broken relationship, my estranged children, there's no way you can move this mountain. And we believe today that we're still to speak to mountains. We're to speak to mountains. We believe that those mountains are the very things that you should be telling your God about. Telling God about these mountains in your life. God, today I'm praying for this diagnosis and I'm praying for your healing. But I believe there's a time in life where we come to a place and we say, I'm not just going to tell God about my mountains. I'm going to start telling my mountains about my God. I'm going to start telling my mountains about my God, who my God is and the things I'm facing, the things that I'm, I'm up against, the things that are taking me out. I'm going to tell those things about my God. Because my God is greater than my mountain. My God is greater than the valley that I'm in. part of our life. He's been in the valley. Thirteen years ago, my, my brother-in-law started started doing drugs, and, and he just progressively got worse and worse and worse. And I can't remember a, a family vacation or a Christmas that, that wasn't affected by his addiction. It was painful. It was hard. I hated seeing my, my wife go through that. I I hated seeing my father and my mother-in-law who, their family married into this big wild, loving family. It's been so hard to watch them go through that. And then last Christmas my brother-in-law came out of his valley. He overcame his addiction. He got sober. And we all kind of waited and watched because we'd seen it happen before. How's he going to do in January? How's he going to do in February? And month after month after month, he he stayed clean. He got a great girlfriend that just towed the line. He even started coming back to church. We thought, man, this is it. You see, for 12 years, I I worried every time my mother-in-law or my father-in-law would call my wife, and if she didn't answer, they'd call me. I thought, this is the phone call. This is the phone call that Jason's died. Somewhere in 2019, I, I just, I stopped thinking that. Then the day after Thanksgiving, we got a phone call. Jason had overdosed. And he passed away. It truly was a Black Friday. The next day we got on an airplane and we flew to be with family I've seen some very close people in my lifetime pass away. But the level of grief from this was harder. Monday night, we spoke at the memorial service. We celebrated his life. We got back home. I just, I felt sick. I physically felt sick. It was so painful. He was 31 years old. He had so much life ahead of him. Twelve hundred people showed up at the memorial service. So many people loved him. And just as this week has gone by, I just felt like, man, this grief that we're facing is going to become the new normal of our lives. This grief is what we're going to have every, every Christmas and every Thanksgiving and every holiday. It's the new normal for us. And yesterday, I was just talking to the Lord. I just love how God meets us with his grace I love how he meets us in our grieving in our mourning he reminded me he said right now you have this mountain of grief but who's your God who's your God who's your father who's your savior who's your healer who am I Yesterday I started telling my grief about my God. I started telling my grief all about my God. How how great he is. That line we sang a couple moments ago that your goodness is always running after me. I was just a mess. God is so good and we don't always know why. We don't always know when. We don't always know how. Oftentimes we're left with a lot of questions. We're left with a lot of pain. We're left with a lot of grief. But I believe that God still meets us in those moments and reminds us that He loves He knows and He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't walked away from us. But He's here with us in this moment.